And we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant and joined... Ugh, screwed up. <laughs> and so, joining you today. Joining me today. No, nah, no, nah, we'll, we'll just kick it off again. All right. And I'll just delete the first part of this nonsense and maybe include it at the end as a blooper reel. Okay, here we go. Right, and we are back with another edition of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant, joined by my partner in crime, the inimitable, incomparable Kevin Pendergrass. Kevin, I have missed you. Our audience doesn't know this, but there for a while, you and I were recording uh, several episodes a week. We were really stacking them up and really getting a bunch of them in the bin because you had some things that you needed to attend to in life, as did I. It was a busy season for you and I both, and we needed to step away, but we didn't want to stop the flow of content to our audience. So we recorded a bunch of episodes over the course of a few weeks, and it's been probably two or three weeks since you and I have talked and I've missed you. Yeah. It's so well, good to see you again, man. I miss you. And in honor of our reuniting, I have a song. Reunited and it feels so good. You, you, you weren't a song leader when you were in church, were you? <laughs> hey, I was, man. I was, <laughs> I was, uh, and that, that was because there was nobody else who could lead singing. Oh, man. I was too, but I, I, I was the reason sang. we didn't have choirs at our church or solos. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you're going to keep that that innovation from from taking place. No, I would always <laughs> I would lead songs. I would always uh, lead songs by letter. I would say I'd sing by letter. I'd open my mouth and just let her fly. There you so, go. I didn't do bad, but I'd always get a little flat from time to time, depending on the note, depending on the song. But anyway, it's good to be back, man. I've missed talking to you. I've missed having this conversation. I'm hoping that since it's been a while since you and I have been able to to gab with each other that we're going to be able to keep it brief. I don't know that we will, but we'll try. This evening, we're going to be going into a, a Q&A. We're going to answer a question that we have received, or I should say more accurately, that you have received by some folks that have listened, some folks that know you. Yeah, and I would call it a criticism as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know that there's a difference between questions and criticisms, and, and I can understand and appreciate the difference <laughs> should, between those things. We need to start doing a series on not just Q&A, but criticisms. Criticism, criticism number one, criticism number two. Oh, absolutely. Good. And the thing is, is being able to accept criticism is a good thing whenever that criticism is constructive, whenever it's warranted. And I can understand why people would ask this question that we're going to be diving into and answering tonight. I, I do. I get it. I understand. And since this is something that has come up more than once, you and I both felt like it would be appropriate to do an episode on this, on this idea. So I'm just going to go ahead and kind of roll it over to you and let you uh, express to our audience the question slash criticism that has been uh, levied to us so that we sure. can dive right in and get to work. Yeah. So in essence, I've been asked on multiple occasions why we do not press our guests more when it comes to certain topics or certain points that they bring up that we may disagree with. Why are, why are we allowing them the time and the space to be able to explain why they believe what they believe? 
And even when we ask questions, why is there not more follow-up on our behalf? Why are we not pressing them a little bit more? Um, some have accused me and, and even you both, uh, both of us, of being more or less chameleons <laughs> and whatever guests we have on a show, we're really just catering to them. And people even ask, do you guys even know what you believe? And where, where does your conviction lie? And, and, and I understand that question, especially coming from our backgrounds, people who knew me prior to my change, people who knew you prior to your change, and then they hear us talk now. And uh, it's, it's kind of, it, it is, it, it is a huge difference from the way that we used to communicate. And I would like to think it's a positive change. I think most people would agree with that. Others probably would like us to be a little bit more aggressive, but I think that's a great question. When we have someone on our program that we disagree with, and we usually state when we do disagree, when we have someone come on, we'll usually say, hey, this is a topic that there's a lot of conversation that has been had and that can, could be had. That's why we want to have you on. We don't feel the way that you feel about this particular topic, but we want the audience to know why you feel this way. And then we give them a platform to explain why. So in this exactly, episode, yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about is why we do not press our guest as much as perhaps we could. Well, and I think one of the things that's worth mentioning, and you touched on this just now, whenever you were kind of laying out the the framework that we're going to be dealing with today, is we don't press our guests because oftentimes we want to give what they have to say a fair hearing. And that's that's most definitely a scriptural concept. You know, there's and, and I'm paraphrasing what the proverb says, but there is a way that that seems like it's the right way until you hear the other side of the matter. And then, well, OK, well, then that seems like it can be the right way. And there have been so many things that I have had my blinders on that I have missed because I thought I knew about a position when I really didn't. I knew a caricature of that position. I, I understood a a version of that position, but it was usually surface level. It wasn't it wasn't to the depth of someone who actually holds that position, you know, would, would possess, you know, I, I wouldn't have that same depth of knowledge. So whenever we have guests on that hold positions that run counter to yours or run counter to mine, whenever we do that, it's to gain an understanding of that position. It's yeah. not to promote it because we like it. It's not to promote it because we agree with it. You and me, bro, we're nerds. Like I'm a nerd for this stuff. I love to learn. I love to speak with other people. You're gregarious. I'm gregarious. We like to talk. I don't know if our audiences notice that, <laughs> but you know, we, we like to have discussions with people from all different stripes of faith, from all different walks of life who hold a variety of different positions and, and thoughts on various matters of faith and theology because if I'm going to consider a certain worldview or a certain position, I need to consider that position itself. Yeah. So whenever we reach out to a guest, we're not keeping one of the things we do not want this podcast to become is an echo chamber. Yeah, we do not, not. We do not want to reverberate in an echo chamber and just preach to the choir and just keep saying those smooth things that we like to hear or just tickle our own itching ears well, to hear more of the same. We want to explore faith in our pursuit of God's grace. Well, in addition to that, not only do we not want to create an echo chamber, but we also don't want to just be another podcast or show that allows people to come on with a differing view only to beat them up 
and yeah. make them make their make them or their position look foolish or, exactly. or just make make fun of them and talk bad about them and and we can beat our chest to make ourselves feel good there's a lot of podcasts out there like that already there's a lot of groups and blogs and uh in, in organizations where that is what that's all they do they'll allow people to come on but it's not to truly engage to hear what they have to say. It's, well, we want to let people know what that crazy side believes so that we can expose it for what it is. It's all a bunch of false doctrine. We don't want to do that because for one thing, and, and kind of going back to answering this question, which we'll do this progressively throughout this episode, because there's a lot of different, I think, factors to consider. But, but one thing is our objective truly is to explore faith and pursue grace. And Lee, when we sat down to talk about this podcast, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to do something unique where this podcast, we hope, reflects reality. We, When people listen to this, we want them to feel like they're listening to their friends talk about a Bible conversation on the on the couch in their home. Yeah. Um, when, when you get into debates, which look, we've talked about this. I used to do formal debates. You've enjoyed doing a lot of debating, not necessarily formally, but you you engaged in a lot of it. There is a huge difference in attitude and spirit when you are debating someone versus when you're having a conversation with that person. Absolutely. Never once, Lee, throughout our whole relationship, before we had a conversation, did I say, all right, the proposition that I am going to affirm today in this conversation, (laughs) I've never done that. But yet we have both changed drastically in our positions. And sometimes we've changed together. Sometimes we've changed individually or talking to other people. Uh, Sometimes we haven't changed. But the thing is, we've always had this transformation going on. And one of the things that I have noticed about our relationship and the relationship I have with so many other people is that one reason why we can grow is because these conversations are disarming. We're not we're not trying to put anyone on the defensive. In fact, there's been times before we've we've had guests on and the audience wouldn't know this, but I felt like I didn't do a good job toward our guest and and asked if they would be okay to re-record because I felt like I wasn't giving them enough time to talk or I was I was pushing them a little too hard. And that's not what this podcast is about. And so when I when I think of the concept of debating, our whole culture right now is us versus them. I mean, in just about any topic, you know, you can't state hardly any belief without not only making someone upset, but finding yourself feeling like an enemy and feeling like you're constantly having to defend yourself. We want people to, to come into this conversation as friends and that's why we have a lot of times our friends on here and friends sometimes we disagree with <laughs> but yeah. we want we want to have real life conversations not not facebook rhetoric we we, we don't want to just get on here and mic drop people we don't want i don't want somebody to mic drop me you know this isn't about gotcha moments um, I, I've told somebody one time, I said, look, I, I'm trying to be a people lover instead of a mic dropper. <laughs> That's yeah. I'm, I'm much more concerned with that. And so when we have guests on, our primary concern is to listen. That's why we have a guest on is to listen, to listen to what they have to say. And, and, and look, am I uncomfortable sometimes when somebody makes a point that I think is not a good point or a point that I feel like right then and there I could address or ask multiple questions. Sure. I, I, I sometimes uncomfortable and I bite my tongue, but I do that 
because I think that's the respectful thing to do. And then later we can go back and revisit some of these points, which is oftentimes what we do on this podcast is let someone speak and then go back later and revisit what we believe were the strengths and weaknesses. Oh, well, in that right there, what you're saying about these conversations being disarming, that in and of itself is what promotes growth. Because I don't know of of anybody, and I'm sure there are people out there that have, and I just don't know them. I mean, I don't know everyone in the world, so I can't say no one's ever done this. But personally, I don't know of anyone that has ever heard a polemicized conversation or a debate whose mind or perspective or paradigm shifted because of that debate. Yeah. I've just, I've never heard that because whenever you go into a debate, your goal is to prove your position as being the most logically sound, the most logically valid. And your goal is to present why your perspective and your worldview is better than the other person's in a conversation. It's a give and take. It's a back and forth. We're flowing in it. We're going in it. We're sharing and we're discoursing. We're not sitting here. I'm not sitting here trying to prove you wrong. You're not sitting here trying to prove me wrong and defending what you say. I'm not sitting here trying to defend what I believe and what I say. We're hashing it out and we're pursuing clarity over being right. Right. And that's, that's why I appreciate this podcast and why I appreciate this format and your attitude in this and, and our ability to sort of, of synergize together in that because Bro, I have realized I have been wrong so many more times than I've been right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Me and too, man. Me too. I, it's it, it's so humbling whenever you realize that. And there have been things that I've been wrong about. There are positions I've been wrong about. The the one that comes to mind is having whenever we had Brother Daniel on and we talked about um was it preterism, preterism? I want to say it the wrong preterism. way. Preterism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preterism. Yeah, say to say preterism. Yeah, say yeah, preterism. Yeah, preterism. Just so yeah, so people yeah, preterism. will get on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm being facetious. But I had a gross misunderstanding of what that position actually was. And in having further conversation with Daniel, it's like, oh, you know what? What I believed this position to be is nowhere near what it actually is. And for myself, where I am now, I really don't mind if someone disagrees with me because I know a lot of people do. No one's going to be uniform in thought and mind and opinion. It's just not going to happen. I don't mind it if someone disagrees with me. And I've said this on, on here before, but I take great issue whenever my position is misrepresented. I yeah. do not like having my position misrepresented. And whenever it is misrepresented, it, it rubs me the wrong way. It grinds my gears more than anything else. Because if I go to great lengths to articulate a position that I have and it's X, Y, Z, and you come back and say, oh, well, so you're saying A, B, C. It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. You completely missed the point. That gets frustrating. And then at that point, you're not really having a discussion anymore. Yeah. Because in order to have a discussion in pursuit of truth, you have to have people that are disarmed. You have to have people that are open-minded and that do have a desire to, to hash things out in a productive way in an effort to gain understanding rather than being right. And so often, whenever we have someone on that we may disagree with, whenever I have someone on that I that we may disagree with or, or whatever else, it's so easy. It's way easier to try to do what you were talking about earlier, whenever you hear a point made to try to jump on that or, or really dig into that and really, you know, try to try to hold their feet to the fire, so to speak, 
But at the end, that really doesn't do a lot of good. Now, and there is a place for that. There is a time and a place for that. And there are ways in which that can be productive and conducive in the pursuit of truth. But this podcast, that's not the purpose that we have here. Yeah. And I have learned just in my own life that I cannot be educated if I feel attacked. You know, I will yeah. not allow myself to learn if I feel like I'm being attacked because I'm going to be too busy trying to defend myself that I am trying to learn. And I never want a guest ever who comes on our show, no matter what they believe. And we're hoping in the future to really branch out, to start having atheists on our show and agnostics on our show, uh, Jews on our show, and uh, maybe even Muslims on our show to truly try and learn. And and for so many people, the fact that we uh, have certain individuals on our show with, with views that that scares them sometimes. And and this is another comment because I'm kind of going down the line here of some of the feedback that I've received. And the feedback I received, it was with the best of intentions. And it was uh, some of it was from people that I, I know fairly well. And uh, that's some of their disappointment. Oh, well, we know you can you guys can do a better job at asking more probing questions. And I'm like, yeah, but we're, we're you know, this isn't 2020. You know, we're not we're not trying to this isn't a court case here. You know, this is us just trying to learn to figure things out and to, as you put it, I think just so eloquently, we want to make sure we're not misrepresenting people. Even at, I'm, I may disagree with someone wholeheartedly and vehemently on a point, but I do not want to misrepresent what they're saying. And I never, ever want to treat them in an unchristlike way. And that's why, as you pointed out, you feel like you've been wrong on so many things and you have been, and I have been wrong on twice as many things. Maybe, I don't know. I've been wrong on a lot of things. I've been, I've kind of made a living out of being wrong on things. And <laughs> You're a weatherman. And, you know, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's what, that's why we're able to have this podcast. Cause we talk about all the things we believe we, we were once right on, but now that we believe we're wrong on. And, and it's just, it's a humbling experience. And the more that I realize how much knowledge and information is out there and how little of it I have, much less the proper perspective uh, over the knowledge I do have, it makes me realize that the things that matter are, the, it's, it is the way that I treat people. And, and even Paul talks about this, you know, we all have knowledge. Paul says this in first Corinthians, he says, we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Love is what matters more. We have to make sure that that love is 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 the key component in all of our conversations with folks. And so I don't want people to misunderstand that. Look, when we have someone on our show and we disagree with them, that doesn't mean that when we're helping them make their point or we're asking clarifying questions so that uh, perhaps their point is made even stronger it doesn't mean we've accepted that point. It means that we're helping, as you pointed out, bring clarity to their position, because sometimes what clarity does is it makes me even more convinced of my own position, right? The, yeah. the clear I can see another position. Sometimes that makes me realize, wow, now that I see this other position even more clearly, I definitely don't want to believe that because I don't think that that's valid. But sometimes that clarity helps me to clear up a misunderstanding and it may help me to accept a position that otherwise I wasn't accepting because I didn't even properly understand it. And so this podcast is truly to explore faith and not just our own faith, but the faith of others and to pursue that grace in the process, which means that this is about learning. This is about growing. This is about transformation. You don't come to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace podcast to get all the answers because we don't have all the answers and we never will and neither do our guests. But you do come to have a better understanding of these 
different positions. Well, and you may even find answers as you listen. You may be wrestling with a certain topic or concept that you've struggled with for years, months, maybe even decades. And maybe one of our guests has a nugget that they share that casts new light on something old that you had never considered before. And you're able to think, oh, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And whenever the pursuit is in being right, having those nuggets reveal themselves, it's it, the chance of that happening is going to be far slimmer. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate mentioning what Paul said about knowledge, about how love is the ultimate thing that matters far more than our knowledge does. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I did a Facebook Live on this in the uh, discussion board not too long ago. Now, it was just a couple of minutes, but I was over in Matthew 5, and I was looking at what Jesus said about how if you have something against your brother, that's not cool at all. And of course, I'm paraphrasing. I seriously doubt that Jesus in Aramaic said the equivalent of, yeah, y'all, that ain't cool if you like that. <laughs> but he essentially said, if you come to the altar and you have your sacrifice upon the altar and you see or you understand that your brother has something against you, you leave your sacrifice on the altar and you go to your brother and you resolve that issue with him then and there. And then you come back and finish offering your sacrifice. And I had always taught that before that, well, the reason why you need to do that is if you have sin in your life, God's not going to accept your sacrifice because you need to be absolutely perfect whenever you come to God. And then it, it just it hit me whenever I was reading it the other day. Well, that completely appends the purpose of the sacrifice in the first place. The purpose of the sacrifice was yeah. to roll those sins forward to begin with. But the idea of being right versus being right relationally, I think that's that's really at the heart of this discussion here because you know, the old me would have said, no, I need to make this sacrifice within the Jewish milieu, within the Jewish life. Those sacrifices were incredibly important. I mean, that is one of the most important things you do as a practicing Jew is you offer the right sacrifices at the right time, observing those right rituals. And Jesus is essentially saying, yeah, you know what? Yeah, those things are important, but your brother is more important. Having yeah. a good relationship is far more important. And you know, and I can't help but think of how I would have answered some of what we're saying now a few years ago. I would have said, yeah, well, Kevin, Lee, it seems like you guys are just being soft on sin because the Bible says we need to, and I'm going to pound the table so you may hear it, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. And what does it mean to contend? It means you fight for it. It means you go to war for it. It means you throw down and you get willing to, you have to be willing to get down in the trenches and get in the muck and roll your sleeves up and go to battle for it. That means that you have to speak hard and you need to speak loud and you need to speak true. You contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. You need to wield that sword of the spirit. You need to get to work and defend the faith. And you're not defending the faith whenever you let these false teachers come on and say their peace. And to that, I say, okay, and what good does that do ultimately? I mean, it does, it seems like that that entire ideology comes from the idea that my perspective on this topic or that topic or whatever else, it seems like that my perspective has to be perfect. That ideology is baked into that kind of mindset. Contending for the faith doesn't mean contending for Jesus's sonship, his ultimate, you know, equality with God, his, his godhood and Godhead, his divine nature. 
the reality of his humanity and bearing our sins on Calvary, the person of Christ, the person of Jesus, the person of who he is. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the faith. It's the list of of rules and regulations and practices and traditions, the construct of faith and ritual practice that I follow. That's the faith. That's the idea that's baked into a statement like that. And whenever you come into it with that mentality, there's no growth that happens. And I would even dare say there's no conviction or convincing someone that I'm right in that regard. That puts people off. It turns people off. And besides all that, it's not even within the context of what Jude's referring to when he speaks of contending for the faith. Well, people change through people change through their own transformation, right? I, I can't transform for someone else. I cannot say, hey, I want you to change so bad. I'm just going to keep wishing that you'll change that one day you're going to change just because I wish it. Or I'm going to browbeat you and just keep telling you how awful you are and how evil you are and how sinful you are. You need to change. I hope God will have mercy on your soul. You need to change. Yeah, yeah. And this, it's, it's shaming people and trying to embarrass them, trying to put them in a corner where they feel like that, okay, well, I guess I just better believe this or else instead of really being a heart change, which is what Jesus is all about. He's always been about this heart change. And the way that comes about is through an individual choice that each person has to be convinced in their own mind. I mean, Paul talks about that in Romans. We, we all have to be convinced in our, in our own mind. And there he was talking about meat sacrifice to idols. And I believe that, that that idea can just pretty much be plugged in anywhere, that we have to be convinced in our own minds. That At the end of the day, I cannot be convinced for someone else. This isn't proxy faith. And the way that I once understood faith, if I could just defend it, if I could just... If, if, if I could preach it hard enough and clear enough, boy, everybody would just change. But ultimately, each person has to make that decision. What we're trying to do is give a platform for people to be able to make the best decisions that they can based upon hearing these diverse opinions. And I hope that when people hear one or two of our guests, they don't think that they're the authority either. I hope that they realize that there's other reasons for people believing different things and that they research those things out. I hope this just encourages further study. But I do want to get into some reasons that people do give and people have given me, and I used to even justify myself for why I believe that when we do talk to people, we should be pretty harsh with them. We should be aggressive with them, especially if we think they're wrong. And I'm going to explain why I've changed my whole my whole paradigm on all of this, <laughs> and this is this was a huge paradigm shift for me, but I want to get into some of these things because I know and you know and everyone listening knows that for whatever reason, when we want to be rude, <laughs> when we want to be snarky, we tend to go to the Bible to justify our snarkiness and rudeness. And, and usually we're being snarky and rude towards people who are snarky and rude. And that's why we're being snarky and rude toward them because we don't think it's right that they're snarky and rude. Now, <laughs> that all that's going to do is just continue to perpetuate this, this idea of I'm better than you. I'm going to judge you. You need to see things my way. It's never an engagement of honest conversation. It's just an attack is all it is. And when I when I started really studying a lot of books that would be deemed as progressive or liberal, um, not within just the Churches of Christ, but within Christendom in general, I, I was turned off a bit by some of the books I was reading because, not because of some of their, uh, the, the arguments or reasoning within their books and not because of the research that they had done, 
but because of the way in which they were presenting it, it was very off-putting to, to me. When, when I was reading the way that they were attacking, where in many ways I felt like I still was, and in some ways still am. And I thought, well, who is this book actually for? If, if it's only for people who already agree with you, then then why are you writing it? And if it's for people who you're hoping just to help, then why are you attacking those people? And that's why I try to be very careful. And I still fail at this. So I'm not saying I've knocked this out and I've got it all figured out. No, I, I, I fail at this and I readily admit it. But I try when I when I'm writing my books, especially I try to write for the person who is questioning and I just want them to know their love, they're cared about. They're not idiots. They're not stupid for seeing things differently than I am, especially when I'm writing about a topic of something I changed on. Because if I used to believe that, what does that say about me? <laughs> so yeah. I think that, you know, being able to first and foremost realize that we, we I don't think, ever have a right, and this is a pretty bold statement, and I'm going to explain it, but I don't ever think we have a right to be antagonistic towards someone. I, I don't think that that's, that's ever Christ-like. Now, people are thinking, well, wait a minute. Well, there's a whole lot of examples, and trust me, I, I used to love those examples because I live by those examples. So I want to kind of explain how my change took place. And Lee, I know that we've discussed this just a little bit, and you, you reasoned a lot of the same ways I did, as do a lot of people who want to justify their judgmental behavior, their harsh behavior, um, their antagonism toward others. When they're not nice to people, they want to be able to say, well, sometimes Jesus wasn't or sometimes Paul wasn't. So that means I don't have to always be either. So let's talk about that for a minute. So Dr. William Lane Craig, who, by the way, is, is still considered more on the conservative side, he gave a series of lessons on the inspiration of the Bible. And he made the point that not everything that the authors of the Bible say or affirm is what God affirms. And he alludes to several examples, especially in the Psalms, where David talks about dashing his enemies' babies against rocks. So yeah, example, imprecatory Psalm, Psalms, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you have like one, uh, Psalm 137.9, or you, you have Paul. For example, in Galatians 5.12, which I used to use this as an example of why I can be rude and crude when I preach. I really did, because here Paul is talking about how there are some teachers, some Judaizing teachers who are coming in, and they're saying that it's not enough to follow Jesus. It's not enough. Jesus isn't enough. You have to also be circumcised to be saved. And here Paul, he said that he wished, and I put the emphasis on he wished because that's what he said. He said, I wish that those teachers who trouble you, I wish they would just go ahead and mutilate themselves. Now, in the original Greek, what that what, what that really means is, I wish they'd go ahead and cut off their whole penis. If they're going to say that you have to be circumcised to be saved, well, tell them just to go ahead and rip the whole thing off. Now, <laughs> that doesn't seem very Christ-like, Kevin. Now, yeah, well, so so when you think about this, you know, and this is this is something I have to ask myself. Should we assume that the heart of the same God who, while dying on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, is the same God that inspired Paul to make this hateful, crude, and really just childish statement about how those false teachers just need to cut off their penises? Now, the answer to that question is, I did. I believed for many years that this was somehow harmonizable. And in doing so, I there was a lot of cognitive... Uh, Dissonance. dissonance there that had to go on because what I was doing is I was rewriting the Bible. And it's funny, Bethany, my wife, we joke about this a lot because when we first met, 
I was already questioning a few things. And, uh, but I was still very harsh in my approach. And so she was very nice. She was very kind, but she would say, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, what do you think about all the passages that talk about being kind and gentle? And I said, well, the Bible defines what kind and gentle is, right? So apparently it's kind and gentle to tell people to cut off their penises because Paul said so. And, and since Paul said he to do it, and he was, he was inspired by the apostle and it's in the Bible, it must be okay. Now I'm going to tell you, anybody listening right now, I don't know of a single person, if you this Sunday at your church went up and in a just fit of rage talked about how you wished your enemies would just mutilate themselves right now. Most people would come up to you and say, you know, we just don't think you should have done that. That's not keeping in the spirit of Christ. And if you say, well, Paul did it. And, and, and I know this because I used to allude to examples like this. And there's many. There's many examples of you seeing the, see the apostles oftentimes being what we would call pretty harsh. There's examples of even name calling in the Bible. And so, you know, what, what do we do with all this? What do we do with this, this, the, these examples? And for many years, because of the way I viewed the Bible, I thought, well, anything in the Bible is fair game. <laughs> I mean, any, anything in the Bible, like, hey, it's fair game, buddy. You know, if it's there, I can use it to justify and motivate my actions. Um, here's the problem. First of all, I begin struggling myself with how some of these actions and statements were harmonizable with statements in the Bible, such as do good to those who persecute you. Do not repay evil for evil. And 1 Peter 3 says, don't even pay insult with insult. Uh, do not be rude. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Be tender-hearted toward one another. Gently correct those who oppose the truth. So I'm reading this, I'm thinking, how in the world is this harmonizable? And while there are quite a, quite a, there's a handful of examples, it's not the majority, and that's why it shocks us. It shocks us sometimes when we see some of the apostles saying the things they do. Because this isn't the norm. It's kind of out of character. I mean, here you have this, this, this apostle who's telling people to be kind and, and he's telling you know Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother. And it's just, oh, Paul's so kind and sweet. Love and then all patient of a sudden, and kind, yeah. Yeah, and, and here's the kicker for me when I was studying Galatians uh, 5. In this very context, if you look at the following verses in this same letter, Paul goes on to talk about how we need to love one, one another. We need to love our neighbor. He says, you don't need to be biting and devouring one another. And he says this right after he makes a, a very hateful biting and devouring statement. <laughs> and, and so I, I think what's happening here is that you have what I'm going to write about or what I do write about in my new book. It hasn't been released yet, but it's called authorial accommodation. And that is, I believe, and, and I didn't come up with this. In fact, many scholars believe this and not just scholars who are progressive or liberal in Christianity, but also those who, are, who would be deemed conservative that there are, are not just times, but many times in which through the Spirit, God still is allowing these humans to give their own thoughts and feelings. I mean, once again, Paul says, I wish these things. He didn't say God wishes that these people would cut their penises or, or that the Holy Spirit did. He said, I wish these things. And I think what's happening here is while the Bible is being written, why these individuals are writing these letters, yes, I believe under the influence of the Spirit, and what that means is another subject in and of itself, but I still think that God allowed them to reveal their own thoughts and emotions at that time and still allowed them to be humans, which sometimes meant they said things that weren't always the best things to say, that weren't always wise. I'm going to say, especially in the Apostle Paul's case, weren't always right, weren't always in keeping with the Christ-like Spirit. We know Paul sinned all the time. He talks about it. 
But the thing is, is even in addition to that, you know, I think we oftentimes venerate the inspired writers of scripture and we hold them on a higher pedestal than we do other people. And and I mean, certainly they were inspired to write what they wrote and I, we should do an episode on inspiration. I think that'd be a, a fun discussion to have, but we forget, dude, you know, Paul was a man, just like you're a man. He is a man, just like I was a man. He is human. You know, he put his sandals on one foot at a time. You know, he was, he was just a regular dude, a fallible dude, just like you and just like me. And even in this pursuit of grace, it, you know, we, I think we often look at Paul and Peter and those, those heroes of the faith that we see in scripture and we view them as finished products. We view them as, as these larger than life individuals that had it all figured out, you know, and they were second only maybe to Jesus and his perfection, you know, at best. But even in my spiritual journey, there are so many things that positions I've changed on. But one of the things you talked about earlier is how the heart is what needs to change. It's not just a position. It's not just a series of beliefs or a set of syllogisms that you have to change your, your affirmation of or your denial of. It's a matter of changing from the heart. And what that means is, is it's, it's an ongoing journey. It's never going to be perfect. It, it makes me think about bodybuilding. I've got a good friend of mine who's a professional bodybuilder. He has his card. He competes all over the country. And the dude is absolutely jacked. And the idea behind bodybuilding is, is there is a certain physical perfection that you pursue, but you're never going to be able to get it. And the Christian walk is certainly like that. There's no way possible, Kevin, that you can be perfect. There's no way possible I can be perfect. Because if it were possible for you or I to be perfect on our own merits, then Jesus died in vain. There was no reason for him to die. Yeah. If, well, and, if that were the case. And, and oh, you ahead, even sorry. see, well, I was going to say, you see Paul's struggle because the point, the point I was going to make to parallel this is you see when Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and in Romans 9 3, he says, when he's talking about the Jews, he says, I, I wish that I was cursed and I wish that I was cut off from Christ for the sake of, of my own people, for those of are my own race. I wish I could save them. And so he's he's kind of using this same language here where instead of saying, well, I wish they would cut off their penises. I think here now you have a much more Christ-like Paul in Romans 9 here. I think that yeah. what he's saying is, hey, you know what? If, if I could, if, if all these people could be saved, I wish I wish I could could be cut off from Christ. Those are th you can't sit here and tell me no. I mean, I won't gonna say nobody can, but I, it's gonna be hard pressed to convince me that you can harmonize what Paul said in Galatians five about he's so angry that he just wished these false teachers would cut cut them their whole weenies off versus what he <laughs> says in Romans nine three. About how he's saying, I hope I wish they could be saved. And people say, well, maybe he was talking about different false teachers. You know, maybe some false teachers, if they're really bad false teachers, you know, may maybe in that case we could have more hate toward them. That is a message not of love and grace. That is a message of human flesh. What human in their flesh does not want to see their enemies destroyed? I mean, for crying out loud, that doesn't take any training. That doesn't take any transformation. And and, and this is the default. Yeah, the, exactly. That is the fleshly default. And so uh, when people are hearing this, they're thinking, well, wait a minute. So you think Paul was wrong for saying that? My, my conclusion is, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, I, he I don't was. I don't I don't think that, that he should have said that. But here's the thing that people will bring up, because 
Well, before I jump here, real quick, I want to say one more thing. Um, well, I kind of interrupted you. you. Go, go ahead. Thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, and what I was going to get to is, is what it seems like is going on there as far as Paul saying he wishes these people would be cut off. We're seeing Paul's humanity. We're seeing yeah. that natural flesh that Paul waged war against, that you wage war against, that I wage war against coming to the surface because – Dude, and this is no more obvious than whenever I'm in traffic and Kim and I are getting ready to go on a little road trip this weekend. And dude, I am not looking forward to driving through Dallas. I am not looking forward to driving into Houston. I am not looking forward to that at all. Because whenever I get behind the wheel and I'm driving and people drive like idiots, my road rage comes to the surface. I mean, I have, especially when the kids are in the car, it takes everything I have to not look at that car in front of me and say, I will beat you to death with a tire iron or something along those lines. And, you know, and here's the crazy thing is I am way more mellow now than I was. I have matured in so many ways, but what that demonstrates to me is I'm still a work in progress. What that demonstrates to me in Paul's words, he's very much still a work in progress. And I'm thankful that we have passages like that in scripture because it reveals to me that the Bible is very much a divine book, but it's also a very human book. And we see that these human authors that, you know, that God, he put his words into those human words. We see these human authors, we see their humanity shine through. Well, and that and, that's reassuring to me. And do we not feel the same way at times? I mean, there are times when I'm just so filled with grace toward people who, uh, I don't know if I would consider them my enemies. They would probably consider me an enemy because of of how much I've changed and their understanding of what that means to them because of what they still believe. But there are sometimes I just feel once again, Bethany jokes with me because I'm like, you know, I've just I've just let this go. And, you know, God's grace is so big and so strong. And, you know, they're sincere and they have a good heart and they're trying to do what they're what, what they think is right. And in other days, just a, the right thought will hit me or something will hit me or something will happen. I'll say, you know what? I, I still can't believe what they did. I, you know what they, I mean, they know better. They should. And, and it's kind of like reading Romans nine, three and, and Galatians five, 12, you, you kind of see this where, and I think even within Galatians five, 12, you kind of see Paul himself writing through his humanity because he goes on to say, well, we do need to love one another. We don't need to be to be uh, uh, biting one another and devouring one another. And that the greatest thing we can do is, is have patience and, and love and show grace. But there's still this human aspect. And that's and we can all relate to that. I mean, we can all relate to, well, I, I know how I should feel about somebody. But, you know, in reality, I wish right now they would just go and do this. And that's what Paul said. I wish that this would happen right now. Uh, so uh, you, you see that. But. I want to point this out because people might right now who are listening may be kind of confused and they will wait a minute. So you're saying a biblical example of of someone who you believe is inspired, what is sometimes wrong. Well, even Jesus said that this is the case, because in Matthew 23 uh, or actually in let me, let me kind of jump back up here, because I think this is very, very, very important to understand. You have um, James and John and they are wanting to rain fire down because they were at a Samaritan village and there were many people who had rejected Jesus. And they said, well, hey, let's let's be like Elijah and let's call fire down from heaven and just destroy all these people. And Jesus, he didn't look at him and go, well, hey, you have a book, chapter, and verse of an inspired prophet who did that, and so you're okay for feeling that way. No, he said, you don't know what spirit you are. You don't know the kind of attitude that you're talking about. And, and it said that he rebuked them for it. So even though they had this quote-unquote book, chapter, and verse, Jesus did not allow that to justify 
or motivate their spirit within them, their attitude of how they felt about the Samaritans, because Jesus didn't come to destroy them. Jesus came to save them. That's and huge, things, man. And, and things change. Yeah. And I mean, that in and of itself has huge implications for how are we to understand the Elijah story, which we won't get into that tonight. But but Jesus even corrects this. And so the, the ultimate question, though, and, and people, if you're anything like me, you're, you're wanting to talk about this because you're like, OK, Kevin, I, I hear you, but. Um, uh, what about Jesus? <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, Paul's a man, you know, Paul, we could say Paul can mess up. Peter can mess up. Uh, hey, for that matter, you even see Paul and Peter rebuking each other at times because they were, you know, in sin and messing up. Okay. You know, that's, that's cool. We understand that, Kevin. What about Jesus, man? Like, what about those tables yeah. in the temple? What about the money changers? Yeah. What about you brood of vipers? What so, about that? So, so let's, let's get into this. Um, if that's okay with you, Lee, because yeah, I, yeah, I go, think that's important it. to talk about this. So, um, I first want to just preface this by saying this used to be my go-to passage. I, I, in preaching school, I had a sermon called the unedited Jesus. And it was every occurrence when Jesus name called, uh, you know, he calls Herod a fox or when Jesus talks about the blind guides and when he talks about them being twice the son of hell. I mean, all this stuff when he's talking and I had this whole sermon. And of course, you, you got to talk about Jesus overturning the tables, right? I mean, that's that's your home oh, yeah. run verse right there. If you if you're trying to preach this aggressive gospel, this this what I call hateful gospel, because when people use those verses, I don't believe they're using them within their proper context. And I'm going to explain that here in just a moment. But those are the passages that I used. And I, I really sincerely believe that this justified my harsh treatment of other people. And there are a few things that I started to learn that made me question this. First of all, I started to realize that this wasn't really hard for me. Like it was easy for me to just lash out at people because as you put it, that's kind of our human default. Like imagine this, you're on Facebook and somebody puts something that you don't like. The human default is to love them and accept them anyway, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> like the human default you, is... You've you, never been on Facebook before you know, if you hold you, that position. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it doesn't work that way or, or any form of social media, Twitter, whatever. Um, so, so that's kind of the... I'm like, I'm not having to transform. I'm kind of allowing my my flesh to almost take over. And I could literally see that and feel that inside of me. And I was comparing that to the fruit of the spirit. And I thought, well, it, it's much harder for me to show love to this person than it is just to condemn them on the, on the spot and to name call. Like, that's easy to do. So I started just kind of through my own experience questioning this. But then this is interesting because in a speech that Hitler gave, <laughs> oh. he, he actually said this. Okay, now... Before you go using or anyone goes using um, the turning of the tables for your excuse of why you can treat people the way you want to, remember Hitler did too. And this is what he said. He said, my feelings as a Christian point me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. It points me to the man who once in loneliness, surrounded only by a few followers, recognized these Jews for what they were and summoned men to fight against them and who God's truth was greatest, not as a sufferer, but as a fighter. In boundless love as a Christian and as a man, I read through the passage which tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out the temple, the brood of vipers and adders. How terrific was his fight for the world against this Jewish poison. Mm. 
Today, after 2,000 years with deepest emotion, I now recognize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was for this that Jesus had to shed his blood upon the cross. So as a Christian, I have no duty to allow myself to be cheated, but I have the duty to be a fighter for justice and truth. So you know how people want to talk about slippery slopes? Look, Lee, we're accused of slippery slopes all the time, right? <laughs> am I am I right? Right. Okay. So, you know, anytime we bring yeah. up a anytime we bring up a topic that's controversial or that's uncomfortable, people will look, that's a slippery slope because look at where it could lead. This is a slippery slope. I mean, if you if you know if, <laughs> like if you want to know where using where using the turning of the tables could lead, this is the same reasoning that Hitler used for why he felt justified and motivated to be the violent man he was. Why? Well, because Jesus did it. Jesus was a fighter. Look at him. He's in here causing all sorts of violence and, and, and ruckus and fuss. I'm just following in the footsteps of Jesus. And while never to the extreme of Hitler, I understand how this could lead to yes. nothing but brutal hate. Because I'm going to tell you, Lee, and perhaps I'm confessing this for the first time, looking back in my spiritual life, I had hate for people who disagreed with me. I had hate for people. I could feel my blood boiling when they would disagree with me because I thought I was right and I thought I was justified in treating them and mistreating them in certain ways because I felt like I could appeal to nobody other than Jesus Christ for my justification. So the question then becomes, what are we to make of Jesus overturning the tables and his, um, should I say, very... Uh, uh, critical. <laughs> um, I will even use the word attacks for just the point to make the argument here, and then we're going to talk about it. But what are we to make of that? Lee, you look like you want to say something before we go there. No, I was just going to say, I, I fully get where you're coming from. And I think that I can actually say that I never really had hatred in my heart against those who disagreed with me, but I definitely was condescending towards them, if not overtly and in person, indirectly and in my own mind. I just thought to myself, well, they're just stupid rubes that just don't have two brain cells to rub together. They're either ignorant or they're just dumb. Yeah. That's just all there is to it because they disagree with me and I know I'm right and they're wrong. And if they just don't see it, it's because they have some sort of mental disorder or something. So even if it wasn't direct hatred that was being espoused towards them or that was being held in my heart towards them, I mean, it was still almost worse than yeah. hate just just a complete lack of of any regard for the intellectual honesty of someone else well and you when you use these examples to to be your justification for why you feel like you can mistreat people you disagree with which by the way hitler was only being consistent i, I mean i'm not justifying anything at all what i'm saying is he he there's a lot of debate on whether Hitler was just using the Bible to try to get people to to believe a certain way. But the point is whether whether he he believed it or not, he got everyone else to believe it. And yeah. when you when you can appeal to the Bible and I and I talk about this in my book, which this becomes a running joke because I say this now, like every time I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to start saying I talk about things in my book, even though they're not going to be there. But, um, you know, I, I do actually talk about this, how people have weaponized the Bible, because. There was there was nothing in the Bible when I felt that way that caused me to to rethink. And it didn't make me think, well, hey, maybe I should have more patience for them. If anything, it was they're a false teacher. And because they're a false yeah. teacher, they need to be handled with a harshest of treatment. And, and, and I can't believe they're leading people to hell. They're leading people. And so in my mind, they were the enemy. 
They were the they were the enemy. They deserved no justice or mercy at that point because they had chosen the wrong side. And 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 that was okay for me to act that way because I had book, chapter, and verse on my side. So I want to explain why I don't think that that is a proper way to, number one, understand this context, and number two, use this context in that way. Do you have anything to say before we, we No, nah, that's it, that? brother. Let's okay. get in it. Let's do it. Okay, so, so first of all, I do not believe there was any violence. Let's start with the turning of the tables, okay? I don't believe there was any violence that took place here. Um, there, there may be people who disagree with that, but as far as scholarship is concerned, as far as everything that I have studied, there's nothing to, to indicate that Jesus was actually physically violent toward any humans. Okay. Second of all, there's a debate of, of whether this happened once or twice. Now I used to believe it happened twice. Um, John in John chapter two, he's the one who puts it at the beginning of the gospel account. And then in the other Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, we don't see this until the end. And so some people believe this was the same story that John just puts it at the beginning more for dramatic effect. Others believe that th these were two different instances. I believe, first of all, that this, was, this only happened once. And the reason being is because if we take what John wrote, if we believe this happened twice— First of all, we have the issue of how this fits into the fact that when Jesus started his ministry, he was trying to keep a low profile. I mean, even people he, he went to heal, he would tell them, don't go and tell anybody else. But yet we're going to turn around and say Jesus be began his ministry by going into the temple and turning over tables. And, and it, I, that just doesn't contextually seem to fit. And, yeah. and, and the majority of scholarship, I will say, they do, the majority of scholarship, whether you like scholarship or not, the majority of scholarship, they will say that they do believe that this only happened once and it was at the end of Jesus' ministry, where uh, the Synoptic Gospels puts it. But second, the stories just sound way too similar to, to be completely different events. They, they, the, the way they're told, they seem to just be very similar. And so, yes, I understand there are differences in details. Uh, for example, one of the reasons for a long time I believe this was two different instances is because John talks about how this is the first Passover in the three that are mentioned, whereas in the Synoptic Gospels, this happens the Passover right before the crucifixion. And so it, it, I understand that there are some details there that could lend, lend credence to the idea that this is two separate times. But I still think overwhelmingly there is more information to prove that this only happened once and it happened toward the end of his ministry. That's important to me, and, and I'm going to explain why. So when you, when you look at this... Um, only John mentions Jesus making a whip out of cords. And so this has really been called into question if this actually happened, if this was a historical detail that actually happened that the synoptic authors omitted, or if this was some sort of embellishment that John actually added for dramatic effect. Now, it's hard to know for sure, but other literary developments in John actually lead credence to the latter explanation, that this is something John actually added, that Jesus perhaps didn't even have a whip of cords. Now, once again, people are listening to this and go, whoa, 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 what are you talking about, Kevin? You know, I mean, if the Bible says it, that settles it. Well, I'm not going to get into this tonight because I am going to talk about it in my book, but I do recommend, <laughs> I do recommend a book if you're interested in this. And it's not by a liberal scholar. This is by, uh, by all accounts, a conservative scholar. And he is making waves and has for the past six to seven years. 
because um, he is bucking the fundamentalist ideology of how the Gospels are written. If you've ever heard of Lee Strobel, it's not Lee Strobel, but if you've ever heard of Lee Strobel, which most people do, they love them. Just about every evangelical has some of the copies of Lee Strobel's books on their bookshelf or, or some of his uh, videos. But he leans heavy on Mike Lacona. Mike Lacona is a scholar, and he's written a book called Why Are There Differences in the Gospels? And he talks about when you look at the writings during that time, the way that Mike Lacona describes it is the elasticity of Scripture in that the writings, they were not always concerned so much with the details as they were with the overall story, and that God was allowing these authors to write the way that they would have written during that time. Whereas today, if we account a story, we're, we're going to include all the specific details, and we really mean those happened. Back then, that was not necessarily the way they, in fact, that wasn't the way they wrote at all. Michael Kono gets into great scholarly detail to explain why that's the case. Well, and you say that, and brother, there are so many bunny trails. I want to go down with that statement that <laughs> ties into some of what I've been reading lately and some of the conversations I've had lately, but I'm going to refrain from that. But I really like that term, the elasticity of scripture. And, yeah. But- and, and, and it's, it's so interesting to me though, just how important that particular ancient cultural context is in our evaluation of the scripture, it's incredibly important. It's not something that can be understated. It's not something or overstated rather. It's not something that can be downplayed. It is incredibly important. And whenever we, I think that's one of the chief mistakes we make whenever we come to the Bible with our own post enlightenment modernist expectations, we miss the boat on what was considered part and parcel of, of normal in their day and time. Yeah. And and this is a quote I would like to read from his book that I think really just captures the essence of, of everything I, I just said and, and and kind of the summary. And if you're interested in learning how he arrived there, then I would encourage you to pick up a copy of his book, Why Are There Discrepancies in the Gospels? And then the subtitle is What We Can Learn from Ancient Biography. So this is on page 201 of his book. He says, Many who believe the biblical authors were divinely inspired also assume those authors must have written with the degree of accuracy and almost forensic precision we desire and expect today. And then he goes on to say, However, this would require those authors to have stepped out of their culture and to have thought in terms of literary conventions that were, uh, that were in existence as we see. And then he goes on to talk about the different biographies that were that he he uh, parallels the gospels to and how they were written he said fortunately historical nearsightedness can be corrected with the proper glasses we craft the proper lenses by reading a significant amount of literature from that same time period which helps improve our understanding of the genre to which the gospels belong like anyone who begins to wear glasses some initial discomfort and adjusting will occur but i love this statement okay this is what he says but a truly high view of the Gospels as Holy Scripture requires us to accept and respect them as God has given them to us, rather than to force them into a frame shaped by how we think He should have. And and I and I think about that just in the totality of the Bible, and how we have to understand the Bible not as the way we want to understand it, and not as our modern culture, and go back and try to have this revisionist approach to Scripture, but try to understand how they would have written it and why they would have written it that way. Anyway, I don't like you said we don't want to get on the bunny trail too far on that. But the point is, is that 
the idea is that a lot of people think that John probably added this as a as as just a, to the dramatic effect. Here, here, John is trying to get attention. John's gospel is written way later. And so what does he do? He starts with this overturning of the tables and, and he, he gives a little more pop to it, uh, a lot of scholars believe, to get the attention. But any, even if that's not true, if everything I just said is not true, if Jesus did have a whip of cords, the actual Greek, when you look at and study the Greek language, it is never a person that Jesus is beating with his whip accord. Jesus isn't in there whipping people. What he's doing is, even if he does have a whip accord, he's driving out the animals. That's what he's doing. And by the way, only John's account mentions uh, the animals too, I believe. And so the idea is that, first of all, there were there was no violence in what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't in there hurting people. Jesus wasn't in there beating people up. Okay, He wasn't ransacking the place in the sense of hurting people. His intent was not to kill people. His intent was not to hurt or, phys- or, or give any physical violence toward anyone. He wasn't doing harm. No, not physical harm. Now, that said, I still think we have to deal with with the tough reality, and that is Jesus did cr- create a lot of pandemonium because there's no doubt I think he overturned the tables. So we have to ask, well, you know, I mean, that's, how do you explain that? You know, Jesus is over, over here overturning the tables. So I think this is, this is from my study. Um, I think there's a couple of alternatives to understanding this. Now, the first one is how most people answer this question. And I think there's a lot of validity to this. They believe that since Jesus knew the hearts of men, that he could properly judge and rebuke and do things that we as humans who are also not the Son of God (laughs) could not do. That in other words, that whenever we see Jesus taking a very authoritative stance on something, that's not him setting forth an example of how we should treat other people. That's him being able to to, to handle individuals because he was also 100% God as well. And so when Jesus called someone a hypocrite, Jesus wasn't saying that just because he was angry or just because they had written a, a, a bad post about him on social media. Jesus was literally able to tell if this person was a hypocrite. And so when we look at it from that perspective, the point is, is that Jesus had the authority to do things and act in such a way that we as humans, when it, especially when it comes to judging, we do not have that same kind of right. Well, and even if you take that and you turn it on its head and you just you look at the inverse of that, it's absolutely true. Look at look at the example of the thief on the cross. You know, I don't have the right to tell you you're going to heaven. I don't have the right to tell you, Kevin, that today you're going to be with me in paradise. Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Kevin, your sins are forgiven. I don't have the right to do that. That's not within my my purview. I don't have the authority to make that statement. I don't have the knowledge to make that statement. That ain't up to me. That's up to God. Jesus is God. And I, I really think that that is compelling that Jesus could see into their hearts. Whereas we can see a person's actions. We can't see all of the all of the background and the backdrop of what led them to make the choices that they made, to make the decisions they made. We see we honestly see people in two dimensions if we're lucky. You know, uh, we're we're four dimensional beings. I mean, we exist in time and in space and we move in space 
And we're also beholden to our emotions and our upbringing. And, you know, we are deeply layered people, but we tend to view people in a different manner. We don't look at people the same way we look at ourselves. We look at what we see and we judge people based on what we see and what we understand where we may not even have the whole picture. Jesus had the whole picture. Well, and, and we even, even taking a step back, um, to give better context, not just to this, but to uh, several of the times when Jesus acted in ways that we would consider very harsh, ways that I believe as humans, we don't have a right to to treat other humans. And one, one of the reasons why is because I don't think Jesus ever mistreated anyone. Don't So don't misunderstand me, but the way that he was able to understand people, Jesus was able to understand and assess an individual in a way that we're not, you know, yeah. and we actually talked about this uh, at church on Sunday, how kind of the academic world today, they like to dismiss people by trying to psychoanalyze them. Oh, well, I don't have to listen to what they say because they probably have mother issues. Oh, did, did you see how they've been acting? You know, they went through a, a great deal of tragedy when they were younger. So we don't really need to listen to what they have to say because they don't know what they're talking about. And what they're doing is, is that they're putting themselves up as the authority to be able to judge that individual and assess perfectly that situation. So I don't think, I, so when I say mistreat people, I don't think Jesus ever mistreated someone. Don't, so don't get me wrong. I don't think Jesus ever mistreated someone in the sense of, of, of how we're talking about it with this, in this context. But I do think that if we try to take these examples and assess situations that we could mistreat people because we don't have the proper knowledge, we don't have all of the understanding that Jesus had. We can't see into that person's heart. But here's a, an important factor too that we miss. Jesus didn't do this very often. Jesus yeah. didn't, you know, Jesus didn't name call. Jesus wasn't out overturning tables every day. That's why these these passages are so controversial because this is not the norm. <laughs> this is not the way Jesus typically conducted business. And so in Matthew 23, when Jesus gives a scathing rebuke to the scribes and Pharisees or when he overturns the tables in the temple, as we just talked about, why these examples are so powerful is because this seems to not really be in line with a lot of the ways that Jesus handled himself and the ways that he taught people to handle other people. So I want to I want to back up for a minute and say that I think, though, we can even read more aggression and more harshness into some of Jesus statements than were actually there within context. So take Matthew yeah. 20, take Matthew 23, for example. Right. This is where Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees. And I used to use this to say, you know, I can call people blind guides and fools and all these other things, and which is interesting because Jesus uh, said, "Call no man a fool" in uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But um, <laughs> but here we see that that Jesus is just going to town on the scribes and Pharisees, and if depending upon what we believe, we're going to read that with a certain tone. And I never had heard heard it put a different way until a man came up to me. This was actually when I was still very legalistic back in. 2000 and I think nine, 2010. This is a long, this is a long time ago in my life. And he came up and he said, I had never read Matthew 23 as Jesus yelling or screaming. Because I read it as Jesus yelling and screaming in the sermon. He said, I had never read it that way. He said, Every time I read that, I pictured Jesus crying. And I said, Well, why do you why why? And he goes, Well, because of Matthew 23, 37 at the very end. And this is what he says, says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. 
He said, I had always read this as Jesus' anguish and frustration coming out because he loves them so much, not Jesus was up there just screaming and yelling at them. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, what we expect out of the text is sometimes what we get. And it's not until we're challenged with someone else to bring new perspectives that we realize, well, maybe Jesus wasn't just sitting up there with his with his finger pointing and saying, you horrible people. What if he was there going, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like you're hypocrites. How could you do this? How could you be doing this? And it, and it presents a completely different tone. Oh, it absolutely does. And with that difference in tone, you get a completely different implication for our own behavior, because there are times where we're going to be frustrated. There are going to be times where we may speak in frustration, but with pure motives and not necessarily mistreat anybody, but you know, out of our own sense of maybe at the strongest incredulity, we're, we're going to maybe engage or say some things that may be taken the wrong way with pure motives. But that's a real interesting point. And it really gets to the root of what we're discussing here is this idea of why we don't push back more against others, because that perception and that those other perceptions rather, or perspectives often bring clarity. Yeah. And it's, it's like, oh, wow, holy smokes. Because here, here's what's funny. I had always read that discourse as Jesus being angry. Woe to you, blind guides, hypocrites. Yeah. That's how I had always read it. And whenever you have that expectation, it colors everything else. Yeah, yeah. When you go to the rest of the verse, you know, we're always talking about context on here. And you see right after the following verse, Jesus you know, ends by saying he he wanted to gather them up like a like a mother hen gathers her her little chickens, and, and I mean, you read that, and you don't read hate, you, you you don't even read. I would say probably not a lot of anger. You read more sadness and disappointment, and the fact that Jesus loved them so much, but they're not willing. They're not willing to follow him, and 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 I mean, it it, it literally breaks his heart. This is someone who is heartbroken, not someone who's ticked off. And those are two very different things. And now I will say this too, because um, if we have enough time, I want to kind of finish finish out this thought here. Because we're talking about a lot of, I think, very uh, neat concepts uh, to, to understand Scripture in, in different lights. But I want to bring up another point that I wasn't able to make, um, and that is that another reason why I don't think that Jesus was violent is because... There's no reason to think not only from con- from the context that Jesus wasn't out hurting people, but remember in the trial before the Sanhedrin, the chief priests continued to try to obtain any kind of evidence they could against Jesus to put him to death, but but no one ever could. They they couldn't accuse him of anything. If Jesus literally was in there hurting people, then they would have been able to accuse Jesus of doing something that would have been wrong. If Jesus was actually in there hurting people, physically harming people, there are all sorts of laws for if you hurt somebody. And here's another point that someone actually brought up to me that I thought was interesting. The early disciples were were very much non-fighters. Um, I mean, we even see Jesus, you know, they, they were, I would go as far to call them pacifists. Now that term is loaded and can mean a lot of different things, but they never thought, they never looked to the example of Jesus as being warriors. 
Uh, we, we read the, the, the yeah. quote from Hitler, right? The apostles never read what Jesus said and got what Hitler got out of it. And so clearly Hitler would have been reading it much differently than the apostles were reading it. Or, or, or I don't think so. Or yeah. not reading it, but even seeing it, seeing what Jesus did. They didn't turn to Jesus and say, well, Jesus is violent. They, they, never, they never had that belief. And so that's another reason why I don't think that, uh, that Jesus was acting violently there, um, even though, though I do think he acted very authoritatively and aggressive in that instance. But here's something else I want you to consider. And I actually want to retract something earlier I said. Um, I think there may have been possibly sometimes Jesus treated people in, in not the best ways that he himself had to learn. And I'll leave that as a teaser because we're going to have a guest to come on and talk about how there are some things that it appears Jesus himself had to learn throughout his life, which involved even who he accepted and how he was to accept them. But, um, oh, go ahead, Lee. You look like you were licking your lips or something. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, oh. No, no. There was just a little glitch there, and I oh, thought I, I gotcha. lost you, and I was starting to panic, but <laughs> I didn't. So go ahead. Okay, so uh, we're, we won't pursue that any further tonight. We'll just leave it there. But I will say this. So there's another view out there that I also think has some validity to it and is, is a possible explanation of what happens. And that is going back to the context. Remember what I said? I think it's important to, to look at this and if to look at the context. And I believe that this was not something Jesus did at the first of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with, with Jesus trying to keep a low profile, and that's how he's going to start. It doesn't make sense with how John wrote. Now, it's hard for me to get into all the, the weeds right now because I'm just summarizing this. But needless to say, I think this only happened one time, and I think it happened at the end of his ministry. That only makes sense. So here Jesus is, and he knows that he is about to die. He knows he's, he's going to be crucified shortly. And he sees people in here taking advantage. The, the very people who are going to be responsible for his death are the ones who are exploiting and taking advantage of the vulnerable. And Jesus sees this. <laughs> and Jesus knows what's about to happen to him as well. And I think that in that instance, there is a possibility Jesus' own humanness came out here. Now, I want to be careful here with how I word this because we go to passages like Hebrews 4.15 to say, well, Jesus never sinned. And I think that's true. I don't think Jesus ever sinned. But I'm not going to go as far to say that I don't think Jesus uh, always did everything exactly the best way and the perfected way every single time. Because when we look... Oh, go ahead, Lee. I was going to say, I think that's right, because a part of being fully human and engaging fully in the human experience are exactly those missteps that we make along the way. Just because a mistake is not sin. Jesus never sinned. And I track with you 100% on that. He never, ever sinned. To say that Jesus never made mistakes would deny a fundamental aspect of humanity, though. Well, yes, and to say that Jesus, uh, there weren't there weren't times when Jesus could have done something in a better way. Yeah, um, I, I think that that is not a discredit to Scripture. That is not discrediting to Jesus. I think if I think actually it 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 gives credence to the idea that Jesus was hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. Because here's what we normally mean: Jesus was one hundred percent God and one hundred percent skin. That's that's what we typically mean, right? We yeah, we don't really yeah. mean Jesus was, and, and 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 when I say that, probably people do mean he was, but they don't understand that implication. And here's why I believe this: Luke chapter two verse fifty two says that Jesus grew, he grew yeah. in wisdom and stature and in favor 
with God and man. And Hebrews chapter 5 even talks about how Jesus learned over the period of his life obedience. So what this means is there were times Jesus didn't know things. There were times that Jesus as a as a human had to learn. And there were times that I think Jesus made mistakes and there are times that Jesus humanness can be seen in him. And I think this is a possible instance of that. Now do I know that for a fact? Absolutely not. I am it's spitballing, man. This is this is guesswork speculating, but I do believe that there's a high possibility that there were times, especially here with the overturning of the tables, that it, it, did Jesus, by the way, not act human either? Uh, just right after this, not too long after this, right before his crucifixion, the night before in the garden, where we see nothing but the humanness of Jesus coming out, the humanity of Jesus coming out when he's praying, saying if there's any other way. Well, why is he praying that prayer if he already knows that this is what's going to happen? And he, why is he, Because that's, that's, his, that's his humanity coming out in him. That's his humanity coming out. And so I don't think there was anything wrong with Jesus praying that prayer. And I don't even think there was anything wrong with Jesus doing what he's doing. But I do think there's a possibility this could have been more his frustration and his humanness coming out. And so a lot of different ways to look at this. But the bottom line is no matter which way you slice it, I don't think we as humans, unless you believe that you're divinely inspired by God, which I'm sure there's... A, probably nobody listening to this podcast who believes that there may be, there's probably a few <laughs> folks out there. Or if you believe you're Jesus Christ, I don't think you ever have the right to assess a situation in such a way to, to conclusively and with certainty say what someone is and what they are. I, Jesus even himself says we don't have that right. And First uh, Corinthians 2, Paul says that we don't have that right. Well, and we definitely don't have the right to lambast somebody over it. And that's why we don't do that on this podcast is because for all of the justification one can attempt to make through the words of Paul, the actions of Peter, the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, whatever else, we simply do not have that right. And even if you take the perspective that maybe they did do all of those things, well, Jesus is the divine son of God and Peter and Paul at all were inspired. I mean, they have those advantages that we do not have. So even if everything that, that you just laid out, I think you laid it out beautifully. And I think those are excellent, excellent, excellent contextual points. Even if, None of that's true. It doesn't give us the right to do it. It doesn't give us the right to do it, not one whit, not one iota. If it does, it gives me the right to cut off somebody's ear if they're attacking me because Peter did that in defense of Jesus. So, I mean, I could even say, yeah, I'm going to defend Jesus and start carrying around a big Scottish longsword with me if you get sideways with me. I'm aiming for that ear. I mean, if I hit your jugular, well, you know, sorry and, about and, and Paul may be aiming for something else, so you better watch out. Oh, mercy sakes. <laughs> But, but yeah, and, and to your point, I don't want people thinking we're not saying that you can't have conviction or even that you can't judge a righteous judgment. The problem is, is when we think our righteous judgment is equivalent to Jesus' righteous judgment, because it's yeah. not. Our righteous judgment is our judgment based upon our understanding of what righteousness is, which all of us, that changes. What I thought righteous judgment was six years ago <laughs> has changed drastically. Yeah. And so, you know, the people that I used to judge, the people that I used to condemn, I believe that I was the one in the wrong now. And so when we talk about that righteous judgment, sometimes we get on our high horses, and I'm just really talking about me in my past, and feel like, well, I'm I'm in the same level as Jesus because I've got the Bible and I've I've you know I've got the truth on my side. But the problem is everybody who has a Bible and can read thinks that they have the truth on their side. 
And so it really doesn't do much good to say, well, I've got the Bible and I've got a Bible verse. Well, uh, James and John had a Bible verse and they had an example of Elijah, but Jesus said that that, nope, you don't know what spirit you are. And so I do think we can make judgments. I do think we can uh, look at a situation to the best of our ability. But whenever that means we start to attack a person's intent, we try to constantly psychoanalyze them. We sit here and we try to discredit them because we think that they don't know what they're talking about or they're not as smart as us or they're ignorant or they have a bad heart. Those are judgments that we don't have a right to make. Those are only reserved for, for God. And I think that when we have someone on our program, there are people, as I pointed out, as Lee pointed out, we disagree with. But these are people who, most of, of whom we, we know, we, we, we have some sort of relationship prior to even having them on the show. And we, we know they're good people because they bear the fruit of the Spirit. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit never once says you hold all the doctrinal positions correctly. It's all about our attitude and spirit. Amen. And so I think that that's where we have to put the focus. And so while this was going to be a shorter episode, and I guess it was because usually sometimes they go a couple hours, but <laughs> I, I think that the, 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 to, answer, <laughs> to answer the question after an hour and 20 minutes, to answer the question, the reason why we don't do that is because we, we want to treat people the way we want to be treated. And at no time in my life have I changed because someone treated me like a jerk. And I don't know anybody who has. I had someone once who told me they did. And later on in life, when we got into a disagreement and I treated them in a very non-jerk way, they got upset at me. And so I figured, well, maybe I should treat them like a jerk and they wouldn't get upset. at me. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> but but I, I, I sometimes people say those types of things because they're trying to justify their own behavior. Oh, well, I like it when somebody tells it like it is. No, you don't. You like it when someone on your behalf is telling somebody else. Nobody likes to, 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 to be yelled at. Nobody likes to. There's not a single person that I know who says, I love it when people mistreat me and call me an idiot. That's, that's, that just makes me feel so good. And that's the way I learn. I, I don't, I, that's not a learning style that, 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 that's, that doesn't, that's not the way things happen. And so um, ultimately our goal is to pursue grace, uh, explore faith and to allow people to share their perspectives because that's how we get to know them too. And in hearing their perspective, they get to hear our perspective when we learn and we grow and we're challenged to, to hear other people's perspectives. And uh, I hope that what we're doing is is beneficial because I'm going to tell you, it'd be a lot easier for just Lee and I to get on here and tell everybody why they're wrong and why we're right. But I don't think that's the attitude of Christ. And honestly, I don't think I am right on a lot. I think, I, I think the, the positions I hold are because I think they're right, but I also... Uh, and willing to admit that I could be wrong. And so I'd never want to put myself in that place of authority. Absolutely. And I hang on loosely to all of my positions now, because like I said earlier, man, I have been wrong so much on so many different issues. And whenever we pursue grace and we do so in our exploration of faith, we need to do so tempered with humility above all else. And, you can't be humble and tell everybody why they're wrong at the same time. Those are things that just don't go together. So I, I think this has been a really good discussion and I think we've answered the question incredibly well. And we've dealt with some of the objections that people would make to why we need to have a harder stand against those things and be more like Jesus and proverbially flip the tables. Um, I think it's been a good talk. So we'll go ahead and get her wrapped up. Thank you all 
so much for your listening. Thank you for your patronage. We appreciate all of you. Share this podcast with your friends. Kevin and I still just remain in awe at the rate at which our audience is growing. I mean, it's not the biggest podcast out there, but we are growing every week. We're getting more listeners each week. And that's because you guys give us feedback. You guys are reaching out to us and letting us know what you like, what you don't like. You're giving us good suggestions. Keep those coming. We love hearing from you. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. We love that and we appreciate it. And it helps us have a greater reach. We appreciate all of you and we wish you all a good night.